when the spooks are having a jamboree. They break it up with English glee. Ghosts are bad, but the one that's cursed is the headless horseman. He's the worst. That's why he's mine on Halloween night. But when he goes jogging across the land, holding noggin in his hand, demons take one look and groan and hit the road for far to know. Greetings, mortals, and welcome to a podcast but evil. I'm Doug Leaf. I'm Dan Oster. And if you may have noticed, I'm talking a little bit like Bing Crosby because today's subject is the Headless Horseman of Sleepy Hollow. Yes, that is the incarnation that I'm most familiar with, so I'm glad you kicked it off with that. It's my uh, one chance to use the Bing Crosby voice that I've got. So yeah. there's literally no other place in life where that would be applicable, except doing a podcast about the headless horseman. So I don't believe that that's ever stopped you, but fair no. enough. <laughs> no, it hasn't. But at least here, it's somewhat appropriate. Um, but yeah, we're talking about uh, the headless horseman. Uh, and Doug, we- uh, we're certainly not recording this uh, so far in advance that I have to ask this question. But are, is mm-hmm. this our first Halloween character? Yes, it is. This is our kickoff for for the month of October for all our Uh, Halloween characters. Yes, and what is scarier than ghouls and goblins? Uh, Maybe like a global pandemic. But (laughs) (laughs) anyway, uh, we're still uh, dead set, dead set on enjoying October. So this is our our festival of frights here on Podcast But Evil. Yeah, uh, and I, I'm glad we're we're kicking it off with this one because we've we've talked about doing this character for a while, and and I'm glad we ended up saving him for for October because like what a classic Halloween figure this is, you know. I mean, in the in like every sense of the word. I mean, this is a character that dates back to the the uh, the, Le- the Legend Sleepy Hollow, which was published in 1819. And it takes place in 1790, so just just seven years after the end of the American Revolution, and the story is very much tied to the to the Revolutionary War and and that kind of uh, that period of our history and kind of the the mystique of it. It feels like you know Halloween in America requires like a, a retelling of the legend of Sleepy Hollow every year. Yeah, there's not a lot of American fantastical lore, but. The Headless Horseman and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow pretty much tops the list, I think. It's a very American story. It's a very scary story. And it is definitely endured. Uh, I can tell you that I have visited Terrytown, which is where the story originated. That is Sleepy Hollow. And that's, where is it? Is it Pennsylvania? I'm trying to remember. It's in upstate New New York. It's not far from White Plains, New York. Okay, I think it's actually pronounced Terryton. I think it's one of those well, things. Is but, it okay? Yeah, <laughs> that's not like travel I think town Bing, here. <laughs> Bing Crosby says it Terrytown, so I'll, I'll leave it to him. Terrytown. Uh, Terrytown. Anyway, uh, so yeah, it's just it is something that, or it's a character and a story that you're right is very American, and that period has a kind of I don't know. It, there's something kind of scary about that. You think of like maybe it's just because of the Disney. Short, where you have the gnarled trees and and all of that stuff. There's just something about that like weird colonial era that uh, is spooky. 
Yeah, I think it's, you know, we don't have much in the way of American history farther back than the revolution. We have a little bit of the colonial period. You get like the Salem witch trials in in 1692. But, you know, it's not like we're, we're dealing with like a story from Europe where you can go back, you know, 1500 years, you know, or, or you know, in, back into Greek antiquity. This is kind of our, uh, our far back history. This is what we've got. And... The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is not the first story to feature a headless horseman character or that there is some precedent for this character. Um, and we can talk about that in a minute. Yes, Washington but, Irving was sued by someone who was like, you stole my script. <laughs> the horseman without a head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll show you. Um, he, uh, Yeah. So there is some precedent for this character. But, you know, th- this feels like – it's almost the first piece of like unique American right. fiction writing. We've had, you know, I mean, there's a long history of, of great American writers, but before Washington Irving writes this story, there's not a lot, in, at least in the fiction space that I'm aware of. You have like, you know, there's a lot of like writings by Brent Franklin and political writings that are are great, but but Washington Irving's really the f- the first to to show up on kind of a national and international stage, sort of yeah. announcing, you know, hey, Americans are are worth taking a look at in the literature department. Ben Franklin's horror writings were not very good. It was like the wood burning stove. Eight <laughs> <ate> people. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, all right. So, do you want to kick it off with our, our usual routine here? Yeah, sure, Dan. What do you know about the Headless Horseman uh, without having done any studying? Well, he lacks a head. I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I know this is a, a story written by Washington Irving. I know that this is one of those stories that probably was a little bit of an oral tradition before he cemented it and laid it down. I know Mark Twain did stuff like that too. It was like the what was the the leaping frog of the jumping frog other. of Calaveras County. Yeah, the jumping frog of Calaveras County, and uh, that was, I guess, a story that you can kind of just borrowed that and used a little bit of it uh, or a lot of bit of it. So this was sort of going on back then. But hey, look, Shakespeare it wasn't too good for Shakespeare to do so. There's right. nothing really wrong with it. Uh, but Washington Irving took this this sort of local uh, ghost story and wrote it out as the legend of Sleepy Hollow and put his own spin on it and solidified it. The character, the protagonist in it is Ichabod Crane, who's a school teacher. And he's kind of an odd uh, protagonist. He's an odd man and an odd protagonist. He's a little bit of a milk toast. I love that about the story, that, that Ichabod, your, your hero, is it's really is a nerd versus jock story. Right. Um, and Ichabod is you know, described from the jump as this really odd-looking, you know, weird guy, and he's remains as such through the story. You know, even when he's we're we're sort of rooting for him as a, a romantic lead, uh, sort of an odd one. He's still kind of like sh- not quite shady, but like he's very keen to notice. Like, man, this girl I'm after is Katrina Van Tassel. She's not only is she good looking, but she's rich. You know, like he's he's yeah, really isn't big. Isn't she on also that. really young? Or am I making she's, that up? She's eighteen. Okay, so, that's fine. Well, certainly, play 18 ball. in 1790, that was like one foot in the grave. So right. that's fine. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so you've got this character who is, you're right, unique in the pantheon of American heroes because he's really, yeah, he's not a tough guy at all. The other main characters you mentioned, it, Katrina, that's his love interest in it. There's Brom Bones, right? Isn't that his name? Right. Brom, yeah. It's a nickname, but yeah. Yeah, and he's the sort of the Bluto to uh, Ichabod's Popeye. This is the this is the 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 
muscle-bound guy that uh, is vying for Katrina as well. So you've got you got this love triangle of Ichabod, Bron, and Katrina. That's what's going on in this town. And then in the backdrop, you've got this legend of this headless horseman who rides at night. He, I think, he takes people's heads. And uh, you know, I, I actually forget. You you will be able to uh, elucidate me and how. In fact, I believe elucidate is uh, uh, used in the song that Bing yes, Crosby. Allow me to elucidate. Anyway, yep. uh, you can uh, you can educate me on uh, how that all plays out. Those are the those are the pieces on the table, though. And the only thing I really remember from it, and it's it's about it. It's really mostly from the the really really cool Disney short. If you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. It is not long, and it is awesome. Yeah. Uh, but I, I remember it ending with a degree of ambiguity as to the fate of Ichabod. He kind of disappears at the end. And, you know, we don't know if there's there's sort of some people say he went off and, uh, you know, married Katrina and, and is off on his own. And other people say the Headless Horseman got him. And so it kind of ends with some ambiguity. That's my understanding of it. Yeah, the book. Um, it, what's interesting about the Disney short which I will echo is fan fucking tastic. Uh, it's one of the best things Disney ever did, in my estimation, and and in particular the ride of the the headless horseman at the end, the climax of it, is some of the best. <laughs> yeah, that that laugh that he's got, it's so good. Yeah, that. But even everything leading up to it, because I, we're getting a little bit ahead, but it's just it's just some of the finest animation that they've ever done. Especially when Disney goes dark. Th- this kind of reminds me of like say the night on Bald Mountain sequence from Fantasia, which yeah, is of or, a similar uh, vintage. The Black Cauldron. Yeah, and that's more recent. That's from the '80s. But yeah, every once in a while, when they go like they decide to go for broke on like dark kind of metal shit, um, they, <laughs> they're awesome. I agree. And it is, is very it is out of character for Disney, and it's really just super well done. And yeah. it's from top to bottom. I mean, the animation style, the music in it, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, so let me go back to the. Let's go to the uh, Washington Irving original. So you you got the main points. He you know the the story kind of opens with this introduction of the of Terrytown and the the place where Washington Irving actually did spend time in Terrytown and the 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 churchyard, the old Dutch churchyard is a real place that I've is been there. The, in in the legend that is where the headless horseman is buried and that he leaves there every night looking for a new head and the reason he goes racing around is because he's got to find a new head and then get back to it before sunrise. It's a really um, relatable story because he's just a guy trying to get some head. Yes. <laughs> or he's a guy trying to get a head, if you want the G-rated okay. pun. <laughs> right. You, you, you take your pick. Uh, <laughs> this is a choose-your-own-joke. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, and the bridge, the, the famously, the, you know, supposedly the go, uh, the horseman can't cross this bridge. It's a real bridge in Right. I believe in, in, in the short, it's once you cross that bridge, my friend, the horseman's power, his power through. ends. His power yeah. ends. That's it. The ghost yeah. is through. His power ends. Yeah. Right. That's in the book. The, the Disney short is actually pretty faithful to the book in terms of its story beats. Uh, the tone is obviously a little different in the Disney version than in the story, but not by much. It's like kind of a nice tweak that they give it, but basically all the beats are there. Ichabod shows up. He's a a school teacher. He makes ends meet by teaching people to sing in like a local choir uh, and kind of scamming lunches. And, you know, um, (laughs) know, he's a mooch. He's kind of, he's he's sort of a, a mooch. I like it. Yeah. He's, he's not a pure soul at all. 
No, not by in the slightest. He's, he's, and I love that about him because it makes him really interesting. He could just be kind of like you said, a totally milk toast kind of nerd, but he's got this slight edge to him because <laughs> he's how, sort of like how he skeevy. makes it through the world, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's and like, I would he, argue he, that I would argue that that dimension actually makes you worry about him because he's more relatable. So when he is in peril, you're like, oh no, you know, I I, I recognize this guy. I kind of am this guy sometimes. <laughs> Right. And he is a guy who, you know, you can tell gets through the world on on his wit rather than any other quality. Because when he starts competing with Brom Bones, Brom Bones, uh, Abraham uh, Van Blunt is his real name. Uh, but he's called Brom So two, two Dutch Bones. names, at least. Katrina. Well, they talk about that. It's a Dutch yeah. part of the um, the the world. Like, this is a very heavily settled by the Dutch area. And that actually, when they open the story, they talk about a lot of the, the, the charm of Terrytown is this, all the local folklore and ghosts, not just the headless horseman, but in fact, we sort of get a, a, a cameo from a La Llorona type. Mm. Uh, there's a, they talk about a ghostly woman in white, that there are all of these ghost stories in and around this area. And that the headless horseman is kind of like the chief amongst them. Mm-hmm. And, so yeah, so we kind of get a little like introduction to the headless horseman at the top of the story. They talk about. Who I think he it would was. be. I'm trying to. I'm re- trying to recall my Dutch here. It's like uh, mevrouw and Vit would probably be uh, or Vit woman in white. Like yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. You did spend a lot of time in the Netherlands. Um, yeah, we did. Uh, so the headless horseman himself is a a Hessian soldier who was uh, beheaded by a cannonball. In in the book, they're a little vague about the battle. They just say a nameless battle of the Revolutionary War, but probably the Battle of White Plains because White Plains is very close by, and the battle happened to be on October 28th, 1776. Mm. So it's close to Halloween. Nice Halloween date. And there is a true, and is, there are some indications that in fact an actual Hessian soldier was beheaded by cannonball at this battle. So you've got this like ring of historical validity to this. To, it always makes a ghost story feel a little better when it's like, ooh, it was true, right? There really was this Hessian guy who got his head blown off. Well, that does remind um, me of the La Llorona story where it's like, oh, let's take some stuff that might be true and weave it into the story. It gives it a little credibility, right? It's what you do when yeah. you're bullshitting. You always try to like, when you're when you're calling in sick to work, you know, you play up the <laughs> thing that's kind of true, but you, you yeah. know, it's more believable that way. Uh, I, I just wanted to say about Hessians, uh, th- this might be a little subsection. It was like, what does Dan know about Hessians without studying? Yeah. German right germanic soldiers they are they are german soldiers they're usually described you hear them called hessian mercenaries they're not right well, this is what i wanted to do. I, yeah. I want to get credit for knowing this so before mm-hmm. you go off go 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 uh, yeah well they mercenaries uh i guess hired by the british right in this case yes they, right these are british uh the british hired what well, they're not technically mercenaries they're what you would call auxiliaries because a mercenary is like a you know a, in this case a, a sword for hire but these are actual like members of the German military. It's like you can oh. hire out an entire unit from the German government. So they're I not see. totally freelancers. Um, so they're technically what you would call auxiliaries. But making him, uh, making the Headless Horseman a Hessian helps because, you know, we're Washington Irving is writing this story only, you know, f- a couple of decades on from the Revolutionary War. This is really fresh in people's minds. And so, you know, to make him this, you know, real life villain that, most of his readers would have experienced, I think adds another layer of like, oh yeah, oh, those guys, I wouldn't want them to come back. Sure. Uh, I mean, there's something even more chilling about a hired gun, right? It's like the British, okay, fine, our fight's with them. But like this guy, he's like from an army that's not even 
directly related. So it gives the headless horseman an even more sinister quality in a way. Yeah, they they do play this up in the. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit, but the Tim Burton version right. of Sleepy Hollow. They they talk about him being like this guy. Just you know, he just came looking to kill things. He's just super ah, violent right, before right, he right. died. You know. Yeah. So that's that's I not believe, really. I remember story, but. some review of that movie described the character as being Christopher Walken in redundant fright makeup. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. It sounds like so, they yeah. cast Willem Dafoe. I mean, he's <laughs> <laughs> yes, truly. Uh, another good choice, though. Save it for the mm-hmm. fan cast. So, right. All right. So, where are we right now with this? We, we're just giving, we're setting the stage, I suppose. So just say, that's who the headless horseman is, right? He's this Hessian merc- uh, uh, auxiliary guy. He's got his head blown off by a cannonball. He's buried without his head uh, in the in the old Dutch church in Sleepy Hollow, and he rides every night looking for a new head. And we don't hear from him again until, you know, as we get to the – like you said, the middle of the story is this love triangle where Ichabod Crane is competing for Katrina Van Tassel's affections and substantial dowry. And the Disney movie plays this up very slapsticky, But the book isn't that far off. The, you know, the Brahm is kind of pranking Ichabod along the way. It never gets too violent, but it's definitely you know a, a point where you sort of realize that Ichabod's going to have to think his way past Brom Bones because he's never going to beat him at his own game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's this back and forth between them, and then eventually we get to a party uh, at uh, the Van Tassels, and uh, you know it gets late into the evening, and people start telling ghost stories. Ichabod starts telling, you know, he, he gets nervous. He's a superstitious guy. Um, but he knows some things about witches, you know, just because he's a learned guy. So he tries to hang and talk about hmm. the stuff that he knows. So this knows. is an interesting bit of color for this time period. I mean, this is the kind of stuff I suppose people would do at a party, right? Like mm-hmm. you have a limited uh, number of entertainment options. Okay, let's tell some stories. And it's a Halloween yeah. party, so we'll tell some ghost stories. Yeah, it's not explicitly a Halloween party in the book. Uh, it okay. is in the Disney It is very much in the Disney movie, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's- Jack I just want to say, everywhere. too, you know, I keep thinking of La Llorona in that both of these characters are sort of cautionary stories. It's sort of like, you know, these people are living with this specter. If you're out too late, if you go wandering, don't do it. That's a common thread to all of these stories. Right. Yeah, yeah you could be disappeared if you're out in the wrong right. place late at right. night. Absolutely. Make sure you get home by sundown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. They, there's this really interesting bit at the beginning of the story where he – almost talks about the the town as if it had this like uh, curse on it when we're doing um we're gonna do pennywise in a few weeks uh, for halloween and St- in stephen king's it the band the the band yes pennywise so <laughs> it, it it the t- it takes place in the town of Derry, maine and stephen king talks about that town in the story that like all the adults are like kind of somehow oblivious to what's going on and it's in it's implied that you know Pennywise is doing this to the town, right? That he's you know in, he has some thrall ca- or, or cast over them. And yeah, are there an, any other instances? So you could certainly trace this back to to Terrytown here as an antecedent to Derry, Maine. Are there other instances of towns that are sort of cursed? I guess I could think of uh, is it Sunnyvale? In the Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> stories, uh, you know, yeah, that's on that's on a Hellmouth. That's how they explain that. So that's why all these things go wrong around there. Um, yeah, let me read. I want to read this little passage here because I think it's really cool. He says, "A drowsy, dreamy influence seems to hang over the land and to pervade the very atmosphere." 
Some say that the place was bewitched by a high German doctor during the early days of the settlement. Others that an old Indian chief, the prophet or wizard of his tribe, held his powwows there before the country was discovered by the master Henrik Hudson. Certain it is that the place still continues under the sway of some witching power that holds a spell over the minds of the good people, causing them to walk in a continual reverie. They are given to all kinds of marvelous beliefs and subject to trances and visions and frequently see strange sights and hear music and voices in the air. And there's a little more of that. But I mean, that's that's a really cool piece of flavor, right? Well, it's also so baked in, I'm just realizing, to the American experience, this sort of weird xenophobia, uh, this fear of like witches, you know, the other. It's certainly of that time, not too far out of the Salem witch trials and stuff like that. It's it, it, Which, by the way, it should be noted, was one of the first American conspiracy theories, right? So right. we are given to this thinking. And here you are, you know, he's playing with that. Washington Irving is playing with that idea, kind of playing it up, I think, for dramatic effect. You know, yeah, some people say this strange force was at play here. Uh, yeah. And it probably really worked on his audience. Some people are probably like, yeah, I genuinely believe that. Right. So at the party, Brom tells Ichabod the story of the Headless Horseman to kind of get in his head. And then Ichabod leaves the party uh, riding home and encounters the headless horseman who chases him down. Uh, he makes his way to the bridge that he's, he knows you know, from the story that in theory you cross the bridge and you're safe. He gets to the other side of the bridge and the headless horseman has his head, not obviously on his neck, but on the pommel of his horse, uh, right, or on a saddle. No, they they took he, that out of the Disney version because it's probably it's a, a jack-o'-lantern in the Disney movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but he throws it at him just like in the movie. He throws his head at Ichabod. It hits him square in the noggin, and he goes down. And that's when we get the end, which is the vague part where they say, you know, uh, some people say he, you know, got he left and got married and had a nice life somewhere else. Some people say the Headless Horseman really got him. Um, it's heavily implied, it's more heavily implied in the book that the Headless Horseman is actually just Brom Bones, uh, you know, putting on a disguise so he can get Ichabod out of the way. Yeah. Um, because there's some stuff in there at the he end of talking threw, about him. That was just a head I found. That wasn't right. <laughs> my head. Yeah. They talk about him as like anytime Ichabod's brought up, he acts a little weird, you know, or like well, he knows more also, than he's Also, I remember that element from the cartoon as well, though, that it was that. Actually, I think the way they work it in, if I'm correct, is there's an early fake out where Brom. He comes riding like through town on a black horse. Right, he and does, they mentioned and, that, and then in the it's book. revealed that it's him, and he's just you know you know who Brom Bones really is. He is a proto Gaston. Totally, yeah. He he is so much that character. Doesn't even have like a little a little bully's little pal. I believe he does. He has a uh, he has a, a the, the Sleepy Hollow Boys or his gang. <laughs> um, oh so no, he has, like a bunch of like dudes like hang out with. Right, he's, okay. He's I the queen bee. Has yeah, I'm sorry. He's a why he's the queen bee. Yeah, he's the Queen Bee of the Mean Girls, except it's Yeah, dudes. he's the Regina George of mm-hmm. Terrytown. Uh, right. Anyway, I, all right, so that's that's a slick way that they get that into the cartoon, is that they have an early version where he like, oh, God, it's the Headless Horseman, and then it's like, ha, 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 it's me. You know, I've got, like, some pillows, like, roped to my head and a cloak over it or something. So that I, Kind of, yeah, he just comes running through town, and, you know, they, they mention this in the book, too, that Brom is a very talented uh, rider. He's, mm-hmm. he's real good with a horse, uh, and Ichabod is not. The one thing they do in the Disney movie that kind of unfortunately throws water on the the kind of cool vague ending is that at one point Ichabod like looks straight down the headless horseman's neck 
yeah. and like you know, there's nothing there. And he like screams, and uh, but like, that can, can't happen with a, an actual person. I don't. Think. I 100 percent disagree. First of all, that is an amazing sequence. Uh, oh yeah, that 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 is the sequence of the whole thing where he's being chased by a headless horseman. Some really great slapsticky but scary stuff happening at the same time. I think his his Ichabod nose like catches a branch and he or and he goes all the way around. Yeah, yeah, and he does he it twice. Up, and he ends up on exactly. It's so well designed. He ends up on the headless horseman's horse, which is this flaming. Well, its eyes are just like it's this. Its eyes are red. Yeah, yeah. It's got this. It's this. You know, the devil's steed thing going on. It's really cool. And uh, you're right. There's this moment where, and it's so memorable, where Ichabod looks down. He's now on the horse with the headless horseman. Oh my god! You know, mm-hmm. and he looks down the guy's cloak, and he's just like he goes white. Because mm-hmm. when he, we don't see what he's seeing, we can only imagine. Now, I can forgive that, though, as at this point, if he's freaking out, he might just be seeing, you know what I mean? He might think he sees stuff at this point. It could be a situation where it's still Brom. I, I I mean, I think it's heavily implied in the cartoon that it's not Brom. That's that's a choice that they make. You're right. They kind of go the other way, which is the more exciting interpretation. But I don't, I don't think that's a problem at all. It's such a cool moment. No, the whole and and I think one of the cool things that works about it is the so the tone of the thing right when we're in the mid the the kind of the middle part of it with Katrina and Ichabod in school sort of just being himself and in his like kind of day to day life, the tone of that is very kind of dreamy and you know you've got Bing Crosby's kind of smooth crooning voice narrating the entire thing. Yeah, he narrates the whole thing. Right. There's no real dialogue. Occasionally when like when like Ichabod is singing or Brahm is it's just they're just lip syncing to Bing Crosby's voice. He's doing virtually the entire thing. Yeah. And so he's just telling you this story and it's this little thing, oh yes. And it's got this kind of 40s uh, the this movie came out in 1949. So mm. you've got this kind of 40s jazzy kind of quality to it, which is an interesting pairing with kind of the the Irving material and the colonial setting. But they do a really good job of like as we get into the Halloween party, we get this like slapsticky dance sequence and then things start to kind of turn more real as like Brom does the song, which I'm sure we're starting this episode with uh, the Headless Horseman song as he starts to scare Ichabod. No, now, and we're then, now we're not. Yeah, Doug. now we're not. Now to Sorry, show we'll you. Use, <laughs> I'll start <laughs> it with like a mega death song called like Headless Horseman. <laughs> right. So the tone of the thing, they do a really deft job of like shifting from this like dreamy, you know, uh, small town tale into like it's Halloween now. Yeah, uh, I, we're, we're going. Spooky. I remember that. You're right, and it definitely goes from these very warm tones to these purples and blacks and blues and stuff. The palette completely shifts. And they start bringing in, like, you know, jack-o'-lanterns and black cats and stuff. into the, Like, it, it becomes very Halloween-ish. Yeah. Um, and then as we transit, one of the cool things about that Headless Horseman ride is it's preceded by this great sequence where between the end of the party and the Headless Horseman showing up, we get Ichabod wandering home through the woods at night and yes. we get these like cool shots of like the clouds look like hands coming over the moon the trees look like right. ghosts and you because as you said Ichabod's been starting to like see things and hear things he's like there's like frogs croaking Ichabod you know at him right he thinks he hears his name and and then it's like oh it's the reeds oh it's the reeds it's a, it the sounds wind. like a horse clapping yeah right. and he starts and laughing like, at it but you know it's the best version of that fake out because I feel like horror movies now don't really have the patience to do something like that it's so tonal you know 
now I think the version of that that you get is like somebody thinks they see something and it's like a jump scare and then it's just a cat jumping out of something and it's like, oh, ha, 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 ha. And then the real thing jumps out or something. But this is like this really great sequence where he's like, the tension is just building and building and building. And you really feel, you remember those moments where you've been walking home at night and, and you, you start see things, to get nervous. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, you're trying to tell yourself there's nothing to be afraid of. It's not working. That's that sequence. It's so good. Yeah. And it, and it makes the appearance of the Headless Horseman so much more effective because they've taken their time. And by time, this thing is pretty short. The whole thing is like, I think, 35 some minutes long. Like, it's not that long, but they spend a good like four, five, maybe six minutes of that runtime with just this walk in the night. And so, and we all know it's coming because, you know, look, the story is <laughs> you know, 160 years old by this point right. or whatever, you know, we know the Headless Horseman's coming, but like they, they really take their time drawing that out. So when he, you know, you just hear the laugh before you see him and they like all of a sudden the tones go from these like dark kind of somber, kind of muted blues and greens to like fuchsia when he appears. Oh yes, that's true. It's a very much, uh, if you haven't seen this, think of um, Sleeping Beauty, the dragon. It's that kind of art. It's that kind of color scheme. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, the, I think that's more greens, but yeah. Like, it's still that you kind of, like, I, it's bright. Saying, it's like, it's like they, they use this, like, explosion all of a sudden to signify this shift. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know, the, the, all of a sudden it gets very real. And and even with the, the ride of the Headless Horseman in that movie being as slapsticky as it is, it never, it, it still maintains... A good degree of terror, like it's the still tension scary. is definitely there. You're right; they managed to get some laughs out of it, but it's still really scary. Yeah, it's the the, the tension does not let up uh, all the way through because like you're just like, come on, man, just get to the bridge, you'll be safe. And of course, he he is not. Uh, they do have a one funny joke though because they a- after you know he's he's gone, they do that you know what really happened to Ichabod, and they said, well, some people say he. You know, he moved out and, you know, married, got married to a widow and had a nice life. And you see him at this table with, like, eight kids that all look exactly like him. Right, right. And he's drawn really weird. <laughs> I mean, he fits the description in the book, but they make him exceptionally kind of odd looking. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty funny. But He that's, looks like a human toucan. I mean, he's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, yeah, if you've got Disney+, Plus, go watch it. If you've got uh, – obviously, the book is now public domain. It won't take you long to read. It's fantastic. You know, high, high, highest recommendation. And then you get uh, – there's some other versions of it. Um, Have you watched it with Celeste? Oh, yeah, yeah. We watched this uh, – I think we I introduced it to her around last Halloween. So she was three, and she really liked it. She still loved okay. it. So three uh, is not too young for this one. No, she thought he was scary. She thought the Headless Horseman was scary, but it didn't really get to her. Okay. I guess your mileage may vary depending on your kid, but um, no, she loves it. She she still finds him the headless horseman bit scary, but she likes watching it anyway. Okay, she so really if your kid's it. not a fucking wuss, you can that's watch right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, before we move on to other incarnations, just using this as our base, I guess there's not much more to mine out of the personality of the headless horseman. He really is sort of more of a force to be reckoned with, shrouded in mystery more than anything else. Right. I mean, he's a ghost story. So, you know, you're, you're not getting a whole lot. And he's not the kind of ghost where we're told, like, ah, you know, if, if we unlock the key, then we can, you know, we bury his bones in hallowed ground and he'll go away. You know, there's none no, of that. It's just like, no, he's just, it's, it's just a, sh- you know, a hazard. He is a, a, right. lo- a local hazard you have to watch out for in Sleepy Hollow. But that's the deal with ghost stories. Rarely do they bake into them some sort of third act resolution. That wouldn't be any fun. 
Um, no. he, he is the closest, definitely, to La Llorona in terms of the characters we've done. All right, yeah. so other incarnations. Um, uh, well, before we get to adaptation of the story, I did want to talk about a couple of things that are like uh, antecedents to this. Okay. So one one is uh, there's a, a Arthurian legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Uh, which I believe is being made into what looks to be a really fucked up A24 movie. But there is a scene where the, the Green Knight is beheaded and like the head still talks. So you've got kind of a Headless Horseman thing there. But the main one is something I thought that was pretty cool called the Dullahan. And I may be pronouncing that wrong, but this is an Irish folklore ghost that is a Headless Horseman. Although sometimes the horse I believe he rides it's is also have The Dullahan! No. <laughs> the James Dullahan. The Dullahan. Um, James Dullahan. This is a, a Headless Horseman. Uh, again, like I said, the horse sometimes is also headless, which is kind of cool. And he's got a whip made of a human spine, uh, which is pretty fucking metal. And but this is also like the banshee. Like he he's not he doesn't kill you. He heralds your death. Like he he like rides up and he you know if you he, he declares somebody's gonna die they die. But he doesn't actually. A lot kill of that you, in Irish folklore. Yeah, <laughs> the banshees we talked about. Same thing. Right. Sort of like if you see this thing, you're gonna. I guess it's just people are dying left and right. Every time I see something, I'm gonna die. You see it, you're gonna it's, die. <laughs> it's a harbinger. Yeah, everything's a harbinger of death. Yes, exactly. Um, Look at the it's the sun's rising. It's a harbinger of death. But I did want to mention that because I thought the guy riding a, a, a headless horseman with a, a whip made of a human spine is just so cool. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's got to be on the side of somebody's van. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So those are some of the pre-headless horseman stories. Right. Other incarnations. So. I do think that the Disney short to me is sort of the the one that people think of first. Then I guess it was Disney that made a live action one. Was that still Disney? I don't. Um, I'm not sure who made the Tim Burton movie. Okay. Um, if it was a Disney or like maybe Touchstone or one of their like sub. Right. Companies. As you mentioned, it's public domain, so you can mess with it. Yeah. This does not. The, the only connection that the Tim Burton one has with the or the Disney one is I think they actually use. The sound of the frogs that go Ichabod, Ichabod. Oh, I think they actually use it. The actual, the exact sound effect from the movie well, okay. as an homage. But now the, I remember the, that one. Yeah, sorry, I remember that one pretty well. A lot of liberties taken with the source material. Oh yeah, they, lots. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know it's still enjoyable. I, there's still a lot to like about it. That setting is always interesting. You know, again, that sort of early colonial America or you know post colonial America. But they make Ichabod a detective, which is sort of strange. So he's there to investigate, I guess, these murders. And there've been, mm-hmm. of course, you have to have a higher body count. So there's murders. That's the biggest change that I that I remember. And then they give you, of course, a little more of this story. We sort of alluded to it, but you can talk about it if you'd like. The uh, how the headless horseman before he died was sort of a, just a maniac. On the battlefield. Yeah, it's Christopher Walken with like his teeth filed down to points and right. you know, just you know, ah, as he just like hacks people's heads off. Yeah, in two swords or something, just like cutting like people's heads off. Yeah, yeah, just going nuts. And so you get the sense that this guy is just a bloodthirsty killer, and the fact that he's now a ghost only makes him worse. And then they get into sort of they obviously have to have a story that resolves, so they add a whole bunch of stuff. He's being controlled by an evil Which is yeah, by witches or a witch or something like that. Right. So he's basically just a blunt instrument that these the the key the real villain is this witch who is using him as a a hitman. Basically, he she summons him from the grave and has him uh, pick off people that are uh, in her way. 
Now, I actually do have a problem with that change because it sort of takes this misogyny that's baked into, you know, certainly that period of time and a lot of American history and kind of justifies it. It's not a great story change, in my opinion. You know, it is witches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they are evil. Yeah, I, I kind of just felt like, well, you're you're taking the principal antagonist of the story and you're making him into Luca Brazzi. Like, he's just not... You know, he's now he's this tertiary character or he's, you know, he's being controlled by somebody else. And it's just like, no, man, he's he's a fucking headless horseman. He should be in charge. (laughs) You know, he should be the big bad. Well, I think they ran into the problem that we're sort of having a little bit with this character is that there's not a lot there. So they decided rather than to add to that, they're going to make him an instrument and then have a character that has a head (laughs) and you can (laughs) talk to and can receive their comeuppance. You know, uh, it's actually probably why the story is better suited for a short so that it can kind of end on an inconclusive note. Yeah. I mean, this was a period of Disney's history when they were making a lot of shorts. Um, in fact, if you look at like, oh, what are the like, you know, the when they say this is the 50th animated feature from Walt Disney Studios and you look, what are the, what are they in order? You go like uh, it's uh, Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, Bambi. And then you get all of these weird things you probably don't remember, like Melody Time and, you know, um, (laughs) Saludos Amigos and like all these films. And then you get like and finally you get uh, this one, which is The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. They paired it with The Wind in the Willows. And then you get Cinderella and we're back on the like full length features. Um, So, yeah, this is a period of the company's history where they were kind of struggling and they were making these things. Uh, And this is probably the best of them by far. Hmm. Because I will say the Mr. Toad shirt's a lot of fun as well. Yeah, uh, it's very strong. They bundle it now, or I guess it's on Disney Plus. But you know, I have the DVD, possibly even the VHS somewhere that was like Ichabod and Mr. Toad. They put those that's two what together. it's called. That was it. That's okay. how it was bundled in 1949. Oh, nice. It so instead of came the Legend out. of Sleepy Hollow and the Wind in the Willows, it's Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Interesting. Right. I, I've noticed that like these adaptations, like, like the most notable one is the Tim Burton one. There were a few others. There was like a TV movie made of it and a few other versions. But it's like it, it's just it's a short story. There, there, there isn't more to graft onto it. You're, you're going to fuck it up. <laughs> like this is a Washington Irving wrote a perfectly contained little story. It's it works as a 35 minute. Yeah. It's like short. when they try to make those movies, it's like the man with the hook for a hand, the movie. It's like, yeah, uh, you know, there's just not a lot here. So we can add some yeah. bodies to get killed, but otherwise it's doesn't really want to be a feature length film. Right. Okay. So is there anything else you wanted to get out? There was this weird uh, TV show recently called Sleepy Hollow. I watched a little of it. And it oh, started that's off right. Pre- yeah. That's right. Yeah. Even weirder. I, yeah. I mean, whenever I see those things, I just go like, I just, re- all I hear is the pitch, which is like, we can get this for cheap. <laughs> How it's is public domain. Be- I know. It's like, every time they do that, I go, well, this isn't really a very inspired idea. This is just a cost effective idea. But you're right. So there was this show Sleepy Hollow and it was like, it's the worst version of Ichabod Crane being cast as something other than a, a weirdo. He was like a handsome slayer of villains, right? Yeah, he's like a he's sent over as a soldier by the British, but then he recognizes the merit of the Americans' cause and switches sides, <laughs> and then he kills the headless horseman in battle, and he's killed by they, they both kind of stab each other. This argument uh, over tea taxation, I'm on the wrong side of it. <laughs> right. Uh, there's got to be room for growth, man. Um, so, 
the 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 horseman stabs him. Ichabod manages to behead him. Like he personally beheads him, and then wakes up in modern day. Okay, and it's like yeah. uh, it goes from there. So and goes from there. They it, pair it, him with a the sexy detective, I think, and that's it right. Writes itself. It writes itself. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So no, don't need to spend too much time on that. I assume the headless horseman shows up. He must be like the big bad of season one. I would guess he's like yeah. And again, this is the thing with he's like he's like part of a larger story about you know demonic forces and stuff at play of course so. yeah yeah let's add to it let's keep adding but the good part is they brought back bing crosby no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's the he, he's the obi-wan of right <laughs> yeah no he's been dead since the 70s um yeah so that's no, that's a it. problematic I, figure in his own right but he did have a sonorous voice yeah so there you go. I, I don't think there's any other uh, incarnations we're, we're talking about. I think we've kind of covered the character. That That is the Headless Horseman. Yeah, he's cool. There's not a lot to his personality, but it's a badass aesthetic and a great setting. And I think it endures because it's it plays into that part of you that gets scared anytime you're out and it's nighttime and you're looking at the shadows and you're not sure what you're quite seeing. Yeah, and for a holiday that like... You know, you think of like Christmas has, you know, Santa Claus and Easter has the Easter Bunny. Halloween for all of like the millions of characters, you know, the Draculas and Frankensteins that kind of go with Halloween. I kind of feel like the Headless Horseman is a little bit like the Santa Claus of Halloween. Like like this is like there's something kind of like, you know, this character just goes with Halloween so well. Like he just pairs with it even more than like a Michael Myers does in a way because it's been around longer. You know, like the, yeah. it's because this is like 150, 100, 200 years old almost now. Yeah, 200 well, the, years old. Disney, I think, deserves a lot of credit for that because of the pumpkin head pairing. Once you kind of give him that, it, now he's firmly tied to the holiday, I think. That too. Yeah, yeah, even more so than, I think in the story, does Halloween factor into it? No, not specifically. It's it's not mentioned. Right. So Disney really decided to marry those two things together and it works. It's like yeah. peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's move on. We'll keep this short yeah. today. So, fan casting. Uh, fan casting. So who have we had so far? We've had Bing Crosby sort of narrating him. He did not do the laugh. Otherwise, the laugh would have been like, oh, <laughs> yeah. not, not intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> no, that laugh is one of the all time great scary laughs from that. But uh, we have him. We have Christopher Walken, of course. And I don't I'm not sure who else has played him. You, it's a fairly thankless role for obvious reasons. Uh, most of the time. So yeah, I don't know how you, you know, go about not, not a lot of lines to memorize. That's true. It's true. You <laughs> yeah. want to go with somebody who's like a martial artist or something who you well, can really show off. Yeah, I, I my approach to this was, you know, I, I started thinking, well, you know, whoever the headless horseman is physically on screen, it's probably just going to be some stunt person. Um, you know, yes, you might get like one flashback with a Christopher Walken, you know, before he's beheaded. Um, but I kind of thought, well, maybe it's that that laugh. You know, like you want like a really cool, you know, just kind of that sound. It might be all you get of him. And so the person I thought of was Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> From Crazy Train, specifically. I'm literally thinking like, all aboard! <laughs> <laughs> like, like that, if you want to go for like that aesthetic, I kind of thought that works. Okay. You know, Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, I think representation matters, so we should cast somebody who doesn't have a head. Right. <laughs> yeah. Actual the, the, headless, the headless community. There's some guy out there, he's really struggling. He's like, there's no roles for me. My headshots are useless. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I think that guy deserves a shot. All right. Uh, I guess it's time for the title fight, isn't it? Uh, no, wait. We got to do... Um... The alignment. The moral yes, alignment. Yes, the moral alignment. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the moral alignment. 
he's kind of vague. He seems like he adheres to some rules. Uh, where do you think he lands? Uh, it's hard to think of him as, I guess. Kind of, I, his, I, mo- his motives are really kind of inscrutable. Right. I mean, we, we know he wants a new head, which is rational if you're Can't missing blame one. Him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that puts him more in the neutral column. I don't consider him lawful exactly. He's not enforcing you know, some sort of order other than, I guess, a curfew. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that makes him, you know, you know I want to get a hashtag. The Headless Horseman is a cop. Yeah. <laughs> he enforces curfew. Yeah. Fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, I guess I got to go probably chaotic. I mean, he seems like he, at least in the Disney version, he's really relishing uh, sure. what he's doing. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess he's some sort of. Somewhere in between weirdly lawful and chaotic, kind of skips mm-hmm. over neutral because he doesn't really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I would only say lawful because he seems to be bound to certain rules. He can't cross bridges and shit. Uh, yeah. But, but I think with a more of a more chaotic than anything, sure. All right. He's, so shall we go to rageful. where? Shall we go to where title fight? Sure. This is a weird one. So in this corner, we have the Headless Horseman of Sleepy Hollow. And in the other corner, Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII. This is a really odd pairing because, one, we usually run into trouble when one of our characters is already dead and therefore unkillable. But Sephiroth comes from the world of Final Fantasy VII, so reviving people from the dead magically is kind of par for the course. So the fact that he's dead may not be an obstacle to Sephiroth. No. Well, I feel like I'm at a disadvantage in this one because I don't. All I know about Sephiroth is what you told me in the past, and I promptly forgot it at the end of that recording. <laughs> so. He's a god. By by the end of the game, he's a god. You know, like that's okay. Well, it sounds like tough. he's gonna win, and his goal is to. Remind me again, what's his goal? His goal, the goal was to cause an injury to the planet so massive that when the planet tries to heal itself, he would be in the middle of that, absorb all yeah. the energy, and basically become a god. Yeah, I got to say, the Headless Horseman's goals are much more modest. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no, could be no solved. world domination. Yeah, it him. could be solved with a simple prosthetic head that someone yeah. could make for him. <laughs> he also is um, weak to bridges. So yeah, tough. he's got his weakness is bridges. Uh, so it sounds like Sephiroth is going to make pretty short work of this guy, yeah. assuming you can kill him. Maybe it's one of those things where you vanquish him and then he just shows up again the next night because he doesn't really have any kind of actual corporeal form. Maybe he's just yeah. mostly. If, if you want to get in the weeds on Final Fantasy logic, there are occasionally enemies that you fight that are like undead. And if you use a healing item on them, it actually hurts them. So let's you go could, with that. Yeah. That's fine. Go. He uses a healing item on him, and it hurts yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> the end. We have a winner. We have, a winner is you, Sephiroth. All right. And that's the last we'll ever have about Sephiroth on the podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, I'm kidding. All right. Well, I guess that wraps things up. Headless Horseman, we hardly knew ye. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what a cool story. Like again, I think both of us are just really up on this character because we love the the original story. And for me, I, I really enjoyed reading it again. And of course that Disney version is just sublime. Yeah, share so. it with your kids for sure. I mean, share it with yourself if you don't have kids. And if you have kids, they're gonna love it too. Uh definitely a great work. All right. Yeah. 
we don't have very much admin. Just we want to remind you guys, if you're enjoying the podcast, please, you know, you don't have to leave us a review. You can. We certainly appreciate those and we like to read them on the air. But if you go to Apple Podcasts and just go ahead and click a star, give us a rating that helps us out a ton. It hasn't happened in a while. So I kind of feel like our growth has stagnated. Prove me wrong. Go to Apple Podcasts. Click a star. Uh, I'm starting to sound like those uh, NPR uh, telethons or whatever, those uh, pledge drives, <laughs> you know. Keep For the us price going. of a cup of coffee. <laughs> That's right. You can get this quality news programming. Uh, so, yeah, we really appreciate that. Of course, you want to reach out and talk to us directly. We're on Twitter at podcast, but evil, appropriately enough. All right. So then until next time, gentlemen, to evil. Clink. Clink. If I was the headless horseman's horse, I would fuck with that dude. Yeah, we're going that way. We're not headed towards the hay. Imagine if the headless horseman had a headless horse. That would be fucking chaos. We need a head. Oh, I got a new headless horseman joke. I'd hate to be the headless horseman's dentist. You wouldn't make very much money. <laughs>